Amy, I'm Helen. Um, I go to New Life Church, um, and um, in my day job, I'm a lawyer. So there you go, some fun facts for you. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they might not be fun. I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, today we're looking um, at Daniel four, um, and um, I'm going to focus on um, King Nebuchadnezzar and the story that we're taking through um, with him. And then Bonnie is going to come up and talk about. Daniel and um, he's nodding at me, so that's good. <laughs> Talking about Daniel and the kind of the story from his perspective. Um, so before we start, I'm just going to pray. That's always a good place to start. Um, yeah, Father God, I thank you that that you are here and that you delight to talk to your people. I thank you for your word that is living. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, come and speak to each one of us tonight. Um, where there's things that need to be highlighted, God, we trust you to highlight them um, gently and lovingly. Um, yeah, so God be with us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Daniel 4. I don't know if any of you had read it. When I uh, saw that we were looking at Daniel 4, I thought, no idea what that's about. Um, so I had to have a, a quick a quick read. So last week we had Dan and Mercy talking about um, the fiery furnace. Uh, in Daniel 3, um, so that's kind of the, the, the chapter immediately before. Um, so in Daniel 4, um, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, um, and it's a dream that kind of freaks him out, and he's, he's pretty nervous about it. Um, uh, so as some of you may know, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of um, the Babylonian Empire, which is ba- basically he's the biggest cheese of all the biggest cheeses. Um, so he's like a big deal. Um, so he has this dream, um, and when kings in those days had dreams that they didn't understand, they'd call their kind of magicians um, and advisors and people and, and try and get them to interpret it. So he calls all these people and, and tells them the dream, and that they're, they're all completely stumped and they have no idea what it's about. Um, and then he calls Daniel. Um, and really interestingly, um, he calls him because he has um, the spirit of the holy gods. Um, so even there at the beginning, we see that um, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, knows that there's some, that the god that Daniel worships um, is a god <laughs> and has power. Obviously, he's seen um, the three in the fire uh, be, be rescued, um, but he doesn't um, acknowledge him as the only god. So this is what the dream was. It's a bit weird, so hang in there. Um, so... I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived there in its branches, and all, <coughs> sorry, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head, as I lay my head down, a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven, and he proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be that with the beasts and in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So he tells that to Daniel. And Daniel, you know, I don't know. I'm assuming he'd probably be like, 
okay, have a little word with God about that. That's what I would do, just ask him. Um, and he, he gets a sense from God. It says in, um, in the passage that he, he is very disturbed by the thoughts that God gives him. And I think so often God just speaks to us like in our thoughts, which is great. Um, but he's kind of slightly nervous to deliver um, the interpretation. Um, so remember, this is the big, the big cheese of all big cheeses. Um, <laughs> and the interpretation that he gives is this. It is a decree of the Most High God, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So it's not an easy interpretation to say to a king, you are going to go crazy, live like an animal, and you won't have your kingdom. I mean, I would be more than a little nervous um, to say that. Um, so as I, was, as I read that and I thought about um, kind of what, what to talk about today, um, I kind of looked at the story that we go through. So I've already explained um, the story that Nebuchadnezzar is the big cheese. Um, and then this dream prophesies that he is going to turn into a beast and lose his mind, which is what happens. Um, so he basically looks, he's one night, he's uh, on his rooftop uh, looking over his kingdom saying, oh, look what I have done with my own hands. Look at this. This must be all for my own glory. And as he says those words, a voice from heaven comes and basically the whole, um, the dream is fulfilled. Um, and he, for seven periods of time, which different uh, translations, but let's just say seven years, that's one of the um, translations. He becomes like a beast of the field. He goes and lives in a field. He's eating grass. He's like an absolute crazy man. He's lost his reason. He doesn't think like a man at all. Um, and then at the end of those seven years, um, he looks to the heavens and starts proclaiming God's sovereignty. And he realizes that it's God that's in control. Um, so we have this journey from um, the pride of self to look at me, look what I have done for myself, to being like a beast, <laughs> to then praising God and his kingdom being restored. Um, so this pride is kind of like the original, the original sin. Um, so the pride of self, um, godlike dependence on, on our, ourselves, basically. Um, and in the, in the Garden of Eden, um, that's what Adam and Eve cho chose to take rather than childlike dependence on God. So it's this journey of how um, God took Nebuchadnezzar and how God actually takes each one of us from um, the pride of self and godlike dependence on ourselves to praising God and a childlike dependence on him. So the first stage of this, of this story is the pride of self. So as I've said, he's the big cheese. Um, and he thinks that he, in his mind, he looks over his kingdom and he thinks that he has built it by his own hand and that it's only by, it's all come within him. He is the cause, the origin, the controller and the source of his own greatness. So um, I'm a lawyer, as I've said, so I love definitions. Um, Dan will probably laugh at me because I say this every time I preach. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I like, had a look at what pride was. Um, and it talks about how pride is pleasure through independence, through self-determination, and through being self-sufficient. It's also having an excessively high opinion of oneself. Um, and pride is also, so it's that kind of that, that self-dependency, but it's also being driven by a desire for the glory that men can give to you and by praise of man. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar's in this place of thinking, I mean, 
I don't know. I don't know if there are any kings of empires here. If there are, hi, how are you? Um, but, <laughs> but I, I mean, if I was the king of a of an of an empire, I mean, it would probably be quite easy to think, "Wow, look at what I've done." Um, and I just, as I was kind of thinking of it, this first stage of like realizing how much pride we have as humans, I just thought it would be probably a good idea to think about whether there are areas in our lives where we are too independent and we are too self-sufficient. Are there areas where we're driven by our desire for our own recognition more than we value and want God's glory in a situation? Are we defined um, by our own achievements? Is that the most important thing to us? And if you're sat there thinking, oh no, I don't think I'm really great. I, I'm not like King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not, I don't think, look at me, look at me. I'm awesome. Um, you're actually thinking the opposite. In fact, you're thinking, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm failing at a lot of things and my life doesn't look great. Um, that doesn't mean that pride isn't an issue um, because the very the kind of pain of that feeling of, of failure um, can actually be um, caused by this kind of desire and this desperateness to achieve and to have people um, ascribe you glory. So um, just kind of have those questions in your mind and kind of be seeing if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about anything about that. Um, and a, a lot of this, um, what, what I'm talking about today, I got from uh, reading um, an article that um, Timothy Keller wrote. Um, he's a... I guess a modern day theologian, um, and he, he said that there are two kind of groups of pride. Um, there's the people who think, um, who are too self-sufficient, um, and they say that they don't, even, they don't need God's grace, they don't need God's grace. Um, and there are the other camp of people who they're like, I'm so weak and horrible and awful that God's grace isn't enough, it couldn't possibly cover me. Um, and if God, if you're, reje- you're basically rejecting God, if you're rejecting God's portion, it means that man is your portion. Um, so do we want God to be our portion? Do we want God to be our portion? So that's the first step of the journey, the, the pride of self. Um, and then second, um, we go into the value of humiliation. So the dream that he has is fulfilled. And he has now lost his mind, eating grass, has hair as long as eagle wings, which is quite long. I was thinking about that. That is really long. His hair is as long as eagle wings, which, like, is, I don't know. It must be long. Anyway, that was... <laughs> beside the point um I love those little details in the bible that you're like I don't even know why they're in there but I love it anyway um (laughs) he is um he has been given the mind of a beast um so he's been he's gone from this is quite a tumble from big cheese of all the big cheeses to in a field eating grass I've never tried grass I I don't imagine it's very nice um (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's a lot, the least of his worries. He's lost his mind. Um, <laughs> but it, it's kind of, I just thought it was interesting that there's something about pride that makes us less human. And it, it kind of shows us the kind of beast-like nature. This story shows us um, that when we try to be more like God and we try and ascribe all the worth and we think that we're the, the source of greatness and the source of um, all good things, it actually makes us less human, which is really quite ironic um so in this in this part of the in the valley of humiliation king nebuchadnezzar um is making the kind of painful discovery in a way that's probably was a lot more painful than it has been for for us um again correct me if i'm wrong if you've been eating grass then great um let's hope that jesus brings you through that um yeah then that just actually that we're not as strong as we think we are that actually we are totally dependent on a sovereign on our sovereign god um that we are actually really weak um which is kind of a at first I think it's quite a painful discovery um 
but actually it's something that's critical for each and every one of us in our kind of journey to salvation is that realization that we can't we, we can't do this alone that there's this whole we we're not meant to live self-sufficiently or independently from god um so it's about acknowledging our weakness and realizing our dependency um, but amazingly, it's, it's not the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's story, and it isn't the end of, of our story, of if being in that place of, okay, I can't do this by myself. Um, what I love about the Bible is the Old Testament often points to the New Testament and reflects, um, the Old Testament reflects some of what Jesus fulfills. Um, and in um, 2 Corinthians, um, it talks about this strength and weakness um, dichotomy, and it says that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I just love that. I love how the, bi- the Bible, the gospel, is just so countercultural. It's completely the opposite of what we would think. The world would say, you are strong when you are like King Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning, when you've got everything, you're looking over your vast kingdom. We all have mini kingdoms to a certain extent. They're not maybe as much as Babylon. <laughs> but, you know, we all have our little our kingdoms. And actually, um, I love that God's like, when you're weak, it's okay, because my strength will be enough for you. And actually, I will complete you. And actually, it will be then that through you, my glory will be even even greater. So it's not the end of the story, which is really good news. And then finally... Um, King Nebuchadnezzar comes out of um, his, after the seven periods, he comes out um, by praising God. He, he, his mind is restored to him and he acknowledges that um, God is sovereign. Um, so he praises, yeah, he, he, his, this whole passage where, oh, I've lost the passage. That's annoying. Oh, oh I found, that was nice. That never happens. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so at the end of the seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he says he, lift, he lifted his eyes to heaven and his reason was returned to him. And he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And this is what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So what we see um, in this last stage is that his, his thinking about God has completely changed. Um, he's acknowledged and now has a foundational, as a foundational part of his thinking um, the truth of God's sovereignty, that actually, whilst he owns this kingdom and he is the king of Babylon, he's nothing without God. God is sovereign over him. He can reduce him to a beast in a field. Um, so it's changed his thinking. And also it's changed how he feels about God. I don't know about you, but if, if God had reduced me to be a beast in a field, I'm not sure my first response would be to praise him. Um, but there's something that fundamental that's gone on in, in, in King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and now instead of him saying, by my power and for my glory, he's saying, it's by God's might and for God's glory. Um, and that's a lesson that he learned through hardship and through in that valley of humiliation. And, and it came out in an overflow of praise from his heart um, and about how he's learned to rest and rest on the sovereignty of God. Um, I think it's really important to remember that God doesn't share his glory. Um, 
and that him being glorified is the greatest good that can come out of our actions. Um, so like we read in 2 Corinthians just a minute ago, actually when we're weak, God perfects us and he makes us strong and actually that just means more glory goes to him. And I think that's, for me personally, I think that's such a, an encouragement when I am feeling not particularly strong to be like, actually it's okay because like God's got this. God promises to perfect us in our weakness. And actually, I, I really also love that God had a way out for King Nebuchadnezzar. Even in that, in that dream, he, he prophesies um, all of this stuff. And then he also says, but there will be a stump um, and I will restore you. Um, and that's um, exactly what he does for us too. So as when we come through realizing that pride of self that we have, and we go through this valley of realizing that we're, we're weak and actually we, we can't, we have this dependency and this need for God. Um, we realize that Jesus came to convert us back to childlike dependence on God. Um, and that he died um, to pay the penalty for our pride. Um, so, uh, yeah, God provided the way out, out for us, which is just amazing. So that is King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm looking at Bonnie, hoping that he will now jump up like a gazelle. And, um, yeah, oh, nice, nice, nice try. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, just have a think and, and see if, if God wants to highlight to you any kind of areas of pride or... Um, yeah, but now I will hand over to Bonnie. That has to be one of the best uh, talks on pride of self I've heard. Um, as I was sitting down there, I had this um, thing that I wanted to speak about a bit. And <laughs> I feel like the Lord was highlighting that, Bonnie, that is pride of self. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, the first time I heard Helen speak, um, she was speaking on social justice, and that was fantastic. And today you've spoken about this, and that is fantastic as well. So yes, I'm excited. I'm chuffed to be here, guys. Uh, for those that do not know me, my name is Bonnie. I'm part of New Life Church. Uh, what can I say about myself? I am one of the resident extroverts here at Pursuit. So if you see me come over to you and intrude your conversation, do not be alarmed. That's my normal state of mind. Um, <laughs> so right. What we're going to look today is uh, Daniel, Daniel 4, but especially Daniel's viewpoint. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago when I was given uh, the opportunity to think about this preach and, and see what I could do with it, I felt like the Lord was just highlighting Daniel, and it's good to see that he highlighted Nebuchadnezzar to her. Uh, and the first thing I saw as I, as I looked into the story was, okay, here's the king. He's given this amazing story. Yeah? He's given, sorry, he's given this amazing dream that he's had. And he's like, Daniel, you're the best among all the wise men in my kingdom. You're going to be the one that's going to interpret this. And as I see this, it's like a scene in my head. And there's Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's this king who has destroyed Daniel's family. He has destroyed Daniel's nation. His power is built on the blood of a whole lot of people. And he says to Daniel, this is my dream. And the dream is about his destruction, that he's going to be, for seven periods of time, he's going to be like, you know, an animal. Under normal circumstances, I would think Daniel would be like, that's it, that's it, it's just rewards. This is what you should deserve. This is exactly what you deserve. But the first thing the Bible paints, the picture in verse 19 is, it says, Daniel is perplexed and is stunned and he doesn't know how to break this news to the king. And he says, king, I only wish this is not about you, but about your enemies. And as I sit there and read that, I'm like, what kind of state of heart does Daniel have that he actually cares for this king and he does not want to see his destruction? And I feel like the Lord is showing me the condition of his heart. 
and the condition of his heart is at forgiveness. Even though this king has destroyed everything that he had, he still doesn't want to see anything wrong happen to him. And as I begin today, I just want to begin with that question. What is the condition of your heart? And as the Lord was speaking about forgiveness to me, he revealed the story to me. For those that perhaps know me may know a bit about it. I became a Christian about 10, 11 years ago. I don't come from a Christian family. And so when I became a Christian, I had this incredible persecution for my family. It got to a point that I uh, decided to leave the country because I was like, I can't deal with this. Um, and especially for my mother, because that's where the persecution was intense, I decided to cut my ties as much as I could. So for the last decade or so, I've had minimal contact with her, spoken to her as less as I could, because I just couldn't deal with the amount of pain she had caused me. It was up until October last year when I went to this conference and it was about forgiveness, and I started to see that the Spirit of the Lord started to show me uh, issues of unforgiveness against her. And one of the first things I had to do was I had to call her and be like, Mom, I need to forgive you for the things you've done. And it doesn't matter whether you change, you don't change. I let go of the very things that has hurt me. The pain that, and the anger that I've held on to, the bitterness, the indifference. And that is the same condition of the heart that Daniel is displaying here. He has let go. Yes, this king has destroyed everything, but I stand here and I let go. I will not let this king take away my peace. And as I keep reading, it gets more and more interesting. We go into verse 22, and here's Daniel starts to say uh, to the king, King, you are this amazing king. You are this all-powerful king that controls so much of the earth. You have dominion over so many things. And I'm like, why is Daniel honoring this king? This king that has destroyed him, he's got this vision, he knows he's going to get destroyed. Why is he honoring him? And I feel like the Lord is revealing that Daniel had reached a space of reconciliation. And as I looked into the dictionary term for reconciliation, it says to restore. And the biblical uh, definition of restoration is to take you back to the place where God intended you to be in the first place. And even though the world had thrown and dealt a really tough hand on Daniel, he was taken back to a place where God wanted him to be, to be reconciled. And as I stand here and say this to you, this is a work in progress in my life. <laughs> I have not reconciled every single relationship I've had with people where they've hurt me, where I've caused pain. I still have maybe indifference or anger, and it's still issues that I'm dealing with. But I stand here and say, that is the model that God is displaying in Daniel, and that is the model that I want to have. The question is, if you're here, and if you have something in your life that you're holding on to, do you want to let go? And I want to give you guys some time later on this evening, perhaps, if you're in that space, to do that. As we keep reading further, we reach verse 26. And in verse 26, the most amazing thing happens. The dream says there's going to be restoration for this king. Even though he'll be destroyed for a period of time, everything will be returned back to him. Restoration is a funny thing. It uh, creates this fruit of love and encouragement, but sometimes we don't know how it comes. For me, restoration came a few days ago. I was having uh, a breakfast with a mentor of mine, and we were chatting about uh, some stuff that I'm going through, um, and I started telling him, listen, if I 
end up being in a different part of the country or a different part of the world. I still want to be able to do the things that I feel God's calling me to do. And that's just two things that I really deeply believe God wants me to do, which is build community and evangelize. And as I started speaking to him more about it, he looked at me and he said, Bonnie, you speak a lot about building community. Uh, could it be because you never had one growing up? I remember I was, uh, I was sitting in my chair with my, with my back forward, and I just slumped into that chair. I felt like an arrow had pierced my heart. For the first time, someone had given voice to something that I knew very deep down, but never really allowed myself to feel. In that small moment, the Lord revealed to me that through some of the dirt that I had gone through in my life, he was birthing some gold. And I feel that I am in a place where I can receive God's love more deeply because of that conversation. I feel restored a lot more because someone had understood why I was doing what I was doing, something that I didn't know myself. The reason I say I share that story with you is restoration can sometimes be a matter of seconds. Sometimes it can be a matter that takes a very long time. But I very strongly believe that's God's plan for us this evening. He wants to restore us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our suffering, in our unforgiveness. And if you're here today, that's my call to you.